0: With it. So today, as you can tell, <laughs> we're starting a new series called Extraordinary, and uh, it's, it's going to be really good. We're actually highlighting three stories, uh, three different stories of three different women in the Bible uh, that have done extraordinary things. And, and we're talking about how God uses ordinary people to accomplish amazing things, and it's going to be absolutely incredible. Today, we're talking about a woman named Rahab. Uh, Some of you may not know this story very well. Some of you may have never heard this story. It's a little bit of an obscure story. It's in Joshua chapter 2. We don't really have time to read through the whole thing today, so if you you guys forgive me, you'll have to read it on your own, um, you know, at a certain point. Um, But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of dig into this story and just kind of unpack what I believe God is trying to say to us through this ancient story in, in the Old Testament. And so to give you guys a quick recap of this whole Rahab story, give you guys an idea of where we're going with this talk today. Essentially, Rahab takes place, uh, if you guys remember the whole Moses, let my people go, that whole thing. When, when the Israelites have their exodus out of Egypt and they wander in the desert for 40 years and Moses is their leader, what ends up happening is as Moses dies, this guy named Joshua takes over. And Joshua takes Moses' place as the leader of the people of Israel, and once Joshua takes over, he decides it's time. He decides it's time to go occupy this promised land that God had given them to go take over canaan and and, and have this promised land that God had promised the Israelites. so Joshua goes like, it is time, like Rafiki in uh, the lion king and he and they go, and what he does is he sends spies uh, into the land just to kind of get a feel for what they're dealing with, you know, because they're going to go in, they're going to go take it over. He sends a couple spies in there to just check out what's going on, you know, and as he sends these spies in there, they end up at this house of this woman named Rahab, and they go into this woman's house, and they actually stay at this woman's house, and the interesting plot twist is that she is a prostitute. And so they find this prostitute's house, they go into her house and stay with her, which who knows what those implications may have been, but either way, um, it happens, and uh, which is another, that's another reason why we can't always look at the Old Testament and just say, oh, well, it happened in the Bible, so, you know. (laughs) But these two spies stayed in the house of a prostitute, and so this woman's name was Rahab, and, and essentially what happens is Rahab hides these two spies from the army of Canaan. As the spies come into the land, the king is alerted that the spies are there, and he locks the gates, and all of Canaan is is entirely on lockdown, and the king says, go find these two spies and kill them. And so as these men are hiding in Rahab's house, she keeps them hidden from the army of Canaan, and eventually what ends up happening is as Israel takes over Canaan, they save Rahab and her family. Are you guys with me? This is kind of a quick idea of where we're going with this. Now today, I wanna talk about two aspects of Rahab's story that I believe that we can learn from. Two aspects of Rahab's story that I believe that with God's spirit just enlightening these things, that it can actually potentially change our entire lives. And I'm, I'm super excited about this series in particular just because I, we planned these things out. We planned all of our year out, all of our series is out back in December of last year and as a lead team, we kinda just prayed and fasted for a while and then we came together in December and just to see what God does in just that meeting of putting all these things on the board and all these ideas and plans and craziness and then we have 365 days ahead of us of what God's gonna do in our faith community. We have no clue what that's gonna look like until we get here. And this, this specific series, it's changed names a few times. Um, it's changed ideas and concepts a few times because God's kind of shaped it and molded it as we've gone. But honestly, I believe that for those of us that are willing, those of us that are able to really grab onto this and to really allow it to change us on a deep level, um, there could be some incredible life change here for us. And I believe that our faith community is primed for that. So let's just go ahead and pray and then we'll jump into it. Jesus, We thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the time that that we have been able to spend just basking in your presence and reminding ourselves of who you are and who we are. And Lord, we pray that today as we dig into this story, Lord, I pray that that you would just illuminate it. God, I pray that you would just speak to us in an incredible way. And Lord, we, we invite you this morning to not just make this another Sunday morning sermon, God, I invite you this morning to not just make this another Sunday morning sermon, but God, we invite you to take this and to make it yours. And Lord, we invite you to penetrate the deepest parts of our soul and speak to us and change us this morning. We love you. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. So the two aspects of Rahab's story that I wanna talk about today, the first one is worthiness. And the second one is willingness. So jumping into it, we're going to talk about worthiness. Um, to talk about worthiness, I actually want to highlight something in the book of Matthew. to give you guys an idea of what happens in the first chapter of Matthew, is Matthew's essentially laying out the genealogy of Christ. Matthew's laying out the family line or the lineage of Jesus himself. And essentially what Matthew is trying to do by doing this in the first chapter of his gospel, he's writing to Jewish people who really, 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 I mean, all ancient people, but especially Jewish people, put a huge emphasis on the family that you come from. That was everything to them. And so what Matthew is trying to do is he's trying to establish the truth that Jesus came from the line of David, that David came from the line of Abraham, and that Jesus is the guy that these Israeli people have been waiting for. And so in Matthew one, chapter five, we stumble across this line, and it's just a whole conglomeration of names. We see this, it says Salman, which looks like salmon, doesn't it? And I told Alyssa, would it be okay if we name our firstborn Salman and just see how many people call him salmon on accident? But anyway, Salman was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, hold up. You're establishing your family line. Matthew is trying to convince us that Jesus is the guy. Matthew's trying to convince us that Jesus is worthy of of everything, that he is God incarnate, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Matthew is trying to convince us that the person that they have been waiting for is this Jesus dude. And, and, And here in his family line, first of all, at this point in time, the way that they recorded history, they didn't record women's names it wasn't a very common thing. And it's really sad that that was the case, but they didn't feel like women were important enough to write down. And that's just how it was. And so the fact that there are women, there's actually in, there's like three lines here, and a couple of those women we're actually talking about in this series, but there are three lines here in the lineage of Jesus where it's like a string of women's names. And that was extremely uncommon at the time, but not only that, not only did he mention a woman's name, but he mentioned a foreigner's name. Rahab was Canaanite, she wasn't even Jewish. And so the fact that he name drops Rahab, okay, first of all, she's a woman. Secondly, she's a foreigner. Thirdly, she's a prostitute. If you're gonna name drop, why do you pick Rahab? Out of all the things, I mean, honestly, like she might have been an awesome person with a great personality, but like if you're trying to establish Jesus's dominion over the entire universe, it's interesting that Matthew chooses Rahab to name drop, especially in this context, especially when your ancestors are extremely important, like like who you came from. It's interesting, all of the Caesars, like the Roman rulers, they all claimed to be born of a virgin because they claimed to be born of God himself. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? But all of the Roman rulers claimed this because how much better does it get? Guess what my ancestry line is? God, right? It doesn't get better than that. And you you can't really argue with that. And so that was the way that rulers would establish themselves. That was the way that kings would establish themselves. In this this world where ancestry is so important, it set the expectations. It set the societal expectations for what, what you were gonna do with your life depending on what kind of quality people were before you. You guys get where I'm going with that? And Matthew, as he's writing this down, he throws, oh hey, by the way, Boaz's mother was Rahab. And it's super interesting. Uh, in Joshua 2.1 is where it tells us that Rahab was a prostitute. It says, then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Now, This is huge, and it's something that we need to take note of. And anytime that we're reading the Bible and we see something that makes us go, hmm, it's really, really important to dig a little bit, because there's so much going on here that is so important. You see, if you remember the story of Abraham, when Abraham... He, he can't. His wife can't have children, and, and God tells him, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. You're going to have a lot of children, and it's going to be such a blessing, and your, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky. That was such a big deal to people of this time. The people that came, not only the people that came before you, but the people that came after you were so important because it essentially said that you paved the way. That you set an example and a legacy that empowered, and those of us, that are, or those of you guys that are parents, you guys know completely, you want to set a legacy. You want to kind of pave the way for your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren to do incredible things. And so the fact that Rahab is in the line of Jesus says something absolutely incredible about God. You guys following me? The fact that Jesus came from the line of Rahab. It's actually interesting. Rahab, three generations later, is King David. King David. Like, he was, he's like the big deal. He's the king of Israel. He's a man after God's own heart. Three generations after a prostitute marries a spy, we have King David. And then from King David, generations and generations down, we have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, comes from Rahab's bloodline. But you see, God has a track record of using people that are unlikely. Wouldn't you agree? God kinda has a track record of it. Think about it. We already mentioned Moses, think about Moses. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, you're gonna go talk to Pharaoh for me, and you are gonna set the people of Israel free and Moses says, God, why did you pick me to talk to Pharaoh? I can't even speak. Most scholars believe that Moses either had a stutter or a lisp, some kind of speech impediment, and God comes to a dude with a speech impediment and says, hey, you're gonna go talk to the most powerful ruler in the world. It's really super interesting, isn't it? And then the way that the story unfolds is, Moses says, God, I'm not good enough, and God says, yeah, I know you're not good enough, but I am, right? And then you think about um, King David. We talked about King David already. The story of King David is really awesome. Uh, Samuel, there was this prophet Samuel, and he was called by God to anoint the next king of Israel. And so God tells Samuel to go to this guy's family. His name is Jesse. And he said, you know, have Jesse line up all of his sons, and and I'll tell you which one you should pick. And that's where we get that whole man looks at outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And, and Samuel goes, and he stands in front of this lineup of all of Jesse's children, and he goes, uh, not the guy, not the guy, not the guy, not the guy, not the guy. He gets down to the very end of it, and Samuel goes, Jesse, is this, are these all the kids you have? Jesse goes, oh, well, no, I have one more, but he's really young, and he's scrawny, and he's, he's actually out in the field. We, we send him to go tend the sheep, like we... <laughs> He's just the youngest. He, we don't care about him that much. He's Really, you don't want him as king. You want, I mean, these guys are way taller. They're way stronger. They're way more good looking. And Samuel says, no, I, I think God's calling David. And he anoints David on the spot. God's got a track record of this. You watch it throughout the Bible. And, and the fact that Rahab was a prostitute gives us so much hope, doesn't it? The fact that Rahab was a prostitute gives us so much hope because it doesn't matter whether you're the scrawniest or the smallest or the most insignificant or you're the most screwed up or you're the most, it doesn't matter what it might be because Rahab is in the line of Christ. There are no disqualifiers in the kingdom of God. And any time that you ever feel counted out, Anytime that you ever feel marginalized, anytime that you ever feel persecuted, anytime that you ever feel like you're not enough, anytime that you ever feel small, God looks at you and he says, I'm taking your side. God looks at you and he says, I'm taking your side. It makes me think of, uh, makes me think of AWOL. For those of you that don't know, we support this organization called All Worthy of Love and they hand out, Lunches and and, uh, prayer cards and such to women that are caught up in sex trafficking just right down the street. And uh, it makes me think of that because it's crazy to think, you know, Rahab had so much potential in her. And, And Rahab, long before she had defined herself, long before she had put a label on herself of prostitute, slut, whore, whatever you might call it, God, had put a different label on her, amen? And God had already predetermined what was gonna happen with her life, and God already knew her potential, and long before she put a label on herself, God had already labeled her as loved, and God had already labeled her as worthy, and God had already labeled her as enough. And it makes me think of these women that settle week in and week out for this, like, terrible lifestyle and and it makes me think of how awesome it is that you guys are so active in partnering with us to make this happen to where every single week multiple times a week we see that meme pop up on facebook that says rescued which means that these women have stopped defining themselves by their own labels and they started defining themselves by christ And it's so powerful for me to think about the potential that they have at this point. Because when you've reached that bottom and when you've reached that I'm so screwed up, there's nothing good that could ever come from me is when God takes your side. It's when God chooses to step in and say, no, you think you're not worthy, but I think you're more than worthy. Actually, I'm gonna choose you above everything else. Why do you think God does that? You know, I was thinking it through and, and as I was preparing for my message, I, was, I had example after example after example of God using people that you wouldn't expect to use, but then I started thinking, why does God use that? What's kind of the behind the scenes? What's the inside baseball on this? Why does God choose to do it that way? And, and I think part of it is in the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus is speaking to his disciples, it says in Matthew five, verse three, it says, God blesses those who are poor, and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God realize, or God, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, because the kingdom of God is theirs. You know, that, that word "poor," it's interesting. It's translated in a few different ways. Sometimes the translation you read will say "poor in spirit," which essentially means realizing your need for God. But it's funny because most of the translations and actually most biblical scholars actually believe that Jesus said it is, like, blessed are the poor. Like, blessed are people who don't have a lot of money and realize their need for me. It wasn't like, oh, poor in spirit, well, it's okay because, like, he's not saying that, like, it's harder when you're rich. He's just saying that, like, no. Jesus was saying blessed are the poor, period, and those who realize their need for me. And it makes you wonder why. It makes you say, why? why does Jesus say this? Why does Jesus go after these kind of people? Why does God choose these kind of people? And, and it, it kind of reminds me of another scripture. We don't have it on the screen, but it reminds me of another scripture where Jesus says that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. You guys remember that? And, and that's hard for us to hear because objectively, we're all rich. I mean, every single one of us, you could be as poor and as broke as, as, as everybody, anybody in the room, but you're still filthy rich compared to everybody else in the world. And it's super hard for us to hear because the rich and the righteous have a really hard time depending on God. But the poor and the needy and the sinful and the dirty, they have no problems. You see, it's easy to get caught up and think, you know, I can figure this thing out on my own. I can do it all by myself. But but the people that are poor, the people that are needy, the people that are sinful, the people that are dirty, the people that are outcasts, those are the ones that look at God and say, God, I need you. I need you desperately. And it's in those moments that God says, yeah, I know. Let's make this happen. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks, he, he talks about this thorn in his side and uh, to this day, we're not sure what that means. Could have been a multitude of different things, and Paul never clarifies. I think he intentionally leaves it kind of ambiguous, but he talks about this thorn in his side in Second Corinthians 12, and he says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away, and each time he said, my grace is all you need. Wow. My power works best in weakness, So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, it's just like when Moses says, God, you don't get it. I can't speak well. I'm not I'm not very eloquent, I'm not very powerful, I don't have a lot of influence, I don't understand why you're picking me, and God says, that's exactly why I'm picking you, because you don't understand why I'm picking you, because it's not about you, it's about me. And it's always. It's never about us, it's never about what you can do, it's never about whether you think you're worthy, because guess what, God thinks you're worthy, and he has the final say. And so any time that those lies start to crop up in your head and any time that you feel like you're inadequate, any time that you feel like you're not doing a good job, any time that you feel like you're struggling, God looks at you and he says, I know. And you realize your need for me and now it's time. Now it's time. We're worthy because he says we are, period. And that's it. So we've talked about worthiness. Let's talk about willingness Let's talk about willingness. Um, you know, in the story, Rahab, she hid two people in her house, right? That's, that's essentially what she did. She hid two people in her house. Now, don't get me wrong, the risk was insane. I mean, if she would have been caught, she would have been killed, it's just that easy. Um, the risk was absolutely insane, so I'm not taking away anything that she did, but I mean, honestly, what did she do? She just said, hey, yeah, you guys can come in and, and hide on my rooftop. And if they ask me about them, I'll say, I, I don't know where you are. And it was that simple. It wasn't like Rahab fought in a battle and killed 500 men. It wasn't like she was elected queen. It, she hid two people in her house. And it's really interesting, but a lot of the time, God uses extremely basic, mundane things to do absolutely huge things. Have you guys experienced that too? Sometimes God uses the most mundane, simple, ordinary things to do the most incredible, huge, amazing things in the kingdom, and that's just the way that it works, and this goes back to it's because it's him. It's not because it's us. It's because it's his work. It's his power inside of us. It's not us. And once we reach that point and we can empty ourselves out, that's when the power starts to take place. Jesus talks about this in uh, John. He says in John 14, uh, well, one of his disciples asks him, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. It's funny that he, he says, Jesus, show us the Father, because now you know we know the Trinity and stuff. But uh, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Such a good question. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? And the words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works that you have seen me do. And I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. So first of all, Philip says, Jesus, show us the Father and then then we'll be sold. Jesus says, don't you see me right here? (laughs) Haven't you seen what I do? Haven't you seen what I say? But then Jesus makes an extremely important point that we can't gloss over. And I glossed over this for such a long time. I always use this verse to just say, oh well yeah, this proves that Jesus is God and God is Jesus and it's that simple. But, but Jesus goes into detail that is extremely important to our lives because he says what I do and what I say is not what I do and not what I say. It's that I am one with the Father and the Father is in me and what, he, what I do is what he does through me. What I do is not what I do. It's not because of who I am. It's not because I'm Jesus that I'm doing these things. It's because God is inside of me that I'm doing these things. And what I do, the works that I do, and, and, and the things that I say, these are all God just, just working through me. And that's all that you see. So when you see me, you see the Father because I am allowing the Father to work through me. And then he goes on to say, you will do even greater things than I have done. What? <laughs> Let that sink in for a second. He says, no, it's not, it's not me. It's the Father working through me. It's not me that's raising people from the dead. It's the Father that's working through me. It's not me that's saying things that change people's world. It's the Father working through me and all that I'm doing is I'm being a vessel. All I'm doing is I'm just willing and I'm a conduit. I'm a funnel of God's power. And then Jesus says, and hey, by the way, I'm going away and now it's your turn and you're gonna do even greater things than I did. And the implications of that are humongous, aren't they? The implications of that are just astronomical. And, and you know, it makes me think because I've never raised someone from the dead. Anybody here raised someone from the dead? No? I didn't think so. Um... Has, has anybody uh, given a blind man sight? No? Okay. And, and it makes me think, like, what did Jesus mean by that? Because, I mean, no doubt there are miracles. No doubt things happen where God steps in and you go, holy smokes. I don't know how God did that. That was, that was incredible. But, but in our day-to-day lives, do we really believe that we're doing greater things than Jesus did? And it makes me just, it kind of racks my brain a little bit. It's something that I've been chewing on all week, you know? What did Jesus mean by that? And, and you know what's funny is every time that anybody came to Jesus and asked for a sign, anytime that any time that anybody ever came to Jesus and said, hey, if you just do this thing, then we'll believe that you are who you say you are, and Jesus goes, nah, it's a wicked and, and corrupt generation that asks for a sign, That's not what you get. Can't you see me? Don't you know me? Don't you hear the words coming out of my mouth? (laughs) Like, this is your sign. I'm here. Don't you see me? Don't you know me? And even when Philip says, hey, Jesus, show us the Father, Jesus says, don't you know me? Don't you see me? And it's funny because Jesus only uses these miracles and these extravagant things to have conversations with people. He only uses these extravagant, crazy, big things to, to get on people's level and to allow them to just lend him an ear. And, and then he creates this relationship with them. And it's so much more important to Jesus throughout his ministry about just loving on people and just being real with people and just telling people that they're loved and that they're accepted and that that God is for them. Jesus is so much more about that than he is about all these crazy miracles and all these insane things. And part of me kind of wonders, is that what God wants to do through us? Is that what Jesus means by greater things? Because what's great in the kingdom doesn't always look like what's great to us. Um. There was when there was one time I was it was probably eight, nine years ago I was on this mission trip in Chicago, and uh, you know a mission trip to Chicago. It's like we live in Detroit, come on, but um we went to Chicago and it was actually really cool, but there was this one day where um, we split up into teams and we were just kind of walking around this park, and they had told us uh, the leaders of the mission trip had told us to uh, to just be praying and just asking God to highlight people to us if we were supposed to talk to them, and we weren't, we weren't necessarily trying to, like, get them saved or share the gospel or anything like that. We just wanted to go out and have conversations with people and love on people and meet their needs and that sort of thing. And so we were walking through this park in uh, Chicago right there off Lake Michigan, and um, it was me and this, this other girl from a church down in the DC area. And we were walking and we were praying and stuff. And as I walked past this guy, uh, he was sitting with his bike on the ground, just leaning up against a tree, looking at Lake Michigan. And um, as I was walking past him, I felt like God told me, you need to talk to this guy. And I ignored it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I kept walking. And this girl, her name was Hibba. She was actually Egyptian. It was really cool. But um, she was walking with me. But she was a few steps behind. And as I passed this guy, she runs up to me, and she grabs my arm, and she stops me, and she says, you know we need to talk to that guy. <laughs> okay, I get it. I get it, God. It's cool, whatever. So I told her, I can keep a conversation, but I'm terrible at starting it. And she said, oh, good, well, because I'm great at starting conversation, but I can't keep it for the life of me. So, I go up, and I just, I, I just, you know, she said hi, and at some point I was supposed to jump in, and it took me <laughs> a while, but I'm, I'm super introverted. It was really awkward, but eventually we got talking, and, and this man started just opening up to us, and by the end of the conversation, he was just bawling his eyes out, and, and he had told us that uh, he had cheated on his wife, and his, his wife and his son had just left him, and they didn't want anything to do with him anymore and he just feels like he's a royal screw up and he, had, he went to his church but his, his wife and his son go to that church and he felt like his church didn't accept him anymore and that they, they didn't love him anymore and he didn't know where to go. He thought maybe going to the church would help and, and they all shunned him and hated him and so he went to Lake Michigan and he sat there and he said that he was praying for a sign from God or he was gonna kill himself that night. And 16-year-old Chris goes, (laughs) wow, I am way in over my head. I don't know what it's like to even have a serious relationship, let alone screw up a marriage. I don't know what it's like to be outcast from my faith community. I don't know, like, I don't know any of this stuff. I don't know what I'm dealing with. This dude's talking about killing himself and what do I say to stop it? You know what I mean? Like, I, I am completely ill-equipped for this. And it was the craziest thing. I just started talking. We just started chatting, and I all I remember, I don't remember a lot of it. it was crazy. It was just I felt like God just like put words into my head and I just spit them out, and it was like I couldn't stop my tongue from moving, and I just kept talking, and it was just this crazy thing. But I remember telling him that God loves him. I remember telling him that you can never be too far away from grace. I remember telling him that God thinks he's important. And I remember telling him that if his faith community is not accepting him, even though he is a royal screw-up, that they're the royal screw-ups too. And I remember telling him that there's a church on the corner that we were working with that they would take him in and they would love on him. And I remember telling him that there are a lot of people out in the world that think he's important and that God has incredible things planned for his life. And that was about it. And it was crazy, because after we got done talking, you know, we, we talked for a little longer and stuff, and uh, he got up, he said, you know what, I'm gonna go to that church on the corner on Sunday. Uh, you know, I came here looking for something, and I found it. So I'll see you around. <laughs> and he got on his bike, and he left. And, and as we walked away, I just thought, whoa. I, I didn't do anything. Like, like, that's the most ordinary, most normal thing in the world. I mean, I know it's not like common to just sit down and talk to a stranger, but what did I really do? All I really did was was God said, hey, say hi to this guy, and I said hi to the guy, and that was it. And we sat down at a park off of Lake Michigan, and we looked out over the lake, and we just talked about our lives. How normal is that? How often does that happen? it's so often and it's so normal and, and that's the crazy thing is that that's what god uses in incredible ways you know i didn't start some organization to prevent suicide and this guy ended up rolling through the doors of my the double doors of my big warehouse you know what i mean like no i didn't start a nonprofit that's you know worldwide i i i didn't do any of this stuff i said hi to a guy sitting on the grass off of Lake Michigan. And that was it. And that's the crazy thing is like, when I tell people this story, you know, a lot of the time when you hear people's stories, it sounds a little bit like they're gloating. Like they're kind of like, they're telling you the story. And it's a really cool story, but you're kind of like, but you're kind of a jerk because you make this sound like you're awesome. I told you guys, God told me to say hi to him, and I didn't. It was nothing that I did. It was nothing that I did. It's not about how eloquent of a speaker I am or not and not. Uh, it wasn't about how many Bible verses I had memorized. I didn't quote one Bible verse to this dude. It wasn't about any of that. It was, it was literally me just saying, God, okay, I hear you and I'm willing to let you do this through me. And here's the thing. God wants to use you Do the extraordinary. God wants to use you to do the extraordinary. And my question for you today I've got a few of them, but my first question for you today is Do you live like God has called you to do the extraordinary? I'm not saying. Big, you know, nonprofit organizations. I'm not saying, you know, s- preaching and saving a million people. Well, that, that's cool too, but that's not necessarily what God's called us to, is it? God's called us to this very ordinary thing that He takes and does extraordinary things through. Have you been living like God has called you to the extraordinary? Or have we just been getting through the day and getting through the week and getting through the month and paying the bills we need to pay and getting the things we wanna get and doing the things we said we were gonna do? Or have you been looking? Have you been open? Have you been seeking? Have you been looking for God to take the ordinary in your life and to do incredible things through it? You know, it's crazy. Um, the end of this Rahab story, uh, the way that it ends is they tell Rahab to put, a s- strip a cloth, basically. She, she you know, soaked cloth and she used flax and, and whatever And uh, they told her to put a strip of cloth out the window, and then they would know that that's her house, and they wouldn't go in and, you know, take it over and all that. And so that was the way that her family was going to be saved. And so the way that the story ends is she puts this strip of cloth out, and it's crimson red. And the Bible makes sure to mention that it's a crimson red cloth that she hangs out the window. And then her family and her are saved. And now she's a part of God's nation. And you know, it's interesting. I don't know if the writers knew what they were doing. I have a feeling they might have a little bit. I don't know if the writers knew. They they may have been throwing back to Exodus when they painted the lamb's blood on the doors and they were saved. or uh, Who knows what they were trying to do. But how ironic is it that this prostitute, this lowest of the lows, this completely ordinary or even unlikely person, is saved by a strip of crimson red cloth and then you fast forward a few generations down her family line and the blood of Christ takes away the sins of the world. And not just Rahab and her family are saved, but the entire world is saved. And now as we read this back and as we go back to Joshua, whether they meant to or whether they didn't, we read this and I go, oh, crimson, I remember that. That rings a bell. And it's interesting because what God did was not only did he bless Rahab's family line, not only did he allow Rahab to not, not even just be in the conversation, not even just be written down in Joshua, but she was, she was in the family line of Jesus Christ himself. Not only did God take Rahab's story and redeem it, but he took Rahab's story and he told his story through it. God took Rahab's story and he said, yeah, that that in and of itself is important. And I don't want Rahab to be known as the prostitute. I want Rahab to be known as the person who saved Israel, the person who saved her family with this crimson cloth. But on top of that, you look at as time goes on and as the legacy continues, God took Rahab's story and he told the story of Jesus with it. He didn't only redeem her story, but he told his story through it. And see, that's where faith comes in. That's where trust comes in, is that we say, God, I don't feel worthy enough. I don't feel good enough. And maybe that's where you are today. And maybe you're you're here today and you just feel like, yeah, I mean, extraordinary, that sounds great. I've heard a bunch of really motivational messages from a bunch of churches. I watch them on Netflix. It is what it is. But maybe today you're here saying, I don't feel like I'm good enough to actually really do anything like that. And God says, it's not your call. It's not your call. And today maybe the first step is just believing that you are who God says you are and he is who he says he is. Maybe that's the first step. Or maybe you've already taken care of that business and I mean obviously it's a process but you, you do a good job of reminding yourself that you're worthy and that God loves you and that God's for you and he can do incredible things through you, but maybe you haven't been willing. Maybe it's just too easy to figure things out on your own. Maybe you've been like that rich person or the camel trying to go through the eye of a needle, like a rich person trying to enter the kingdom of heaven. And maybe you've been in that spot. Maybe you haven't been realizing your need for God, and maybe you haven't been willing for Him to take this ordinary life that He's given you and to make it an extraordinary thing that tells the story of Christ. And so maybe it's time today to surrender. And maybe it's time today to be willing and to say, God, whatever that looks like, how, whatever you need from me, God, I, I want to be a better parent. God, I wanna be a better spouse. God, I wanna be a better friend. God, I wanna be a better child. God, I wanna be a better, insert the blank. And maybe it's time to just say, God, I know that I can't do it, but I know that you can. And God, I'm sorry for trying to take the wheel and make it happen. And Lord, I know that you're better at this than me. And maybe it's just time to surrender today. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna sing one more song before I let you guys get out of here and we go to our barbecues and we do our thing. And I want you guys to genuinely do some business with God today. And like I said, maybe you're in that first spot and you're saying, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy. I mean, yeah, Rahab was a prostitute but you don't know how screwed up I am. And I'm here to tell you, that's just not the truth. And God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And then maybe you're in that second spot and you're saying, you know, I think I'm I think I'm getting there. I think I'm willing. I think I'm ready for God to take my life and do something amazing. And so let's pray. Father, we thank you for speaking today. Jesus, I thank you so much that you don't just leave us in our own stories, in our own labels, but God, you take us and you redeem our stories. And then on top of that, Lord, I thank you so much that you don't just redeem our stories and leave us there, but you tell your story through us. And God, we wanna we want be a faith community. We wanna be people. We wanna be families that you tell your story through. So Lord, we just, we invite you to do that this morning. God, as we sing these verses, as we sing this chorus, Lord, I pray that it would just resonate deep inside of our souls, Lord, that you would begin to do incredible work on us this morning. We love you, Jesus.